Hi everyone, thanks so much for tuning in. Before we get started, I just have a few short messages. First off, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe this podcast. It's the best way to help us grow and help me get on bigger and better guests. Also, don't forget you can pre-order my book, To the Moon, The GameStop Saga, right now by following the links in the description below. We've also got a few quick sponsors for the show today. Cryptocurrencies are all the rage these days. Over 100 million people now own cryptocurrency. Some for the memes, some for the long-term value, and some for the underlying technology. But there hasn't been a coin or token that has emerged yet that truly replaces cash or currency. This is where Dash comes in. Dash is digital cash, a user-focused cryptocurrency which you can spend anywhere, anytime, and any amount for fees less than one cent. With hashtag Dash Direct, people can spend their Dash at over 155,000 major US retailers and get a discount and money back into their Dash wallet. No banks, no fiat, just pure crypto with an average saving of 5%. Anyone can participate in the network and Dash is widely available for purchase around the world. The ingenious masternode network means sending any sum of money around the world is as simple as tapping your phone at your local grocery store. So you can say goodbye to slow transactions, complex international account numbers, and high transaction fees. Dash gives you the freedom to move your money any way you want. Grab a coffee, split a check, or pay your phone bill. Dash moves money anywhere to anyone instantly for less than a cent. One of the most overlooked aspects of running a podcast is who you host with. You might think it doesn't matter, as I did for quite a while, but it's really crucial to pick a host that is not only going to be reliable, but one that is going to help your show grow and evolve. That's why today's sponsor is Disctopia, what they call Podcaster's Paradise. Whether you're starting a new podcast or need to migrate one over from another host, you have found the best podcast hosting solution period. With more features and flexibility than any other platform, from unlimited storage and uploads to multiple networks, Disctopia has it all. With Disctopia, you'll get a podcast profile page, the ability to manage multiple episodes, and an embeddable episode web player, all on a secure site. You can even have private or exclusive episodes, which you'll get paid for, and your podcast will be distributed everywhere via RSS feeds. Your listeners will get unlimited downloads, you'll get access to unique listener reports, and their analytics are second to none. And on top of all of that, you get 24-7 world-class customer support. Disctopia will give you creative freedom for all your podcasts with integrated merch as well. That's right, just upload it all in one place and you can set your content to be downloadable or even stream only. Disctopia gives podcasters more power, so what are you waiting for? Start today by using our code CHATTER, that's C-H-A-T-T-E-R, to get your first three months free on us. That's a special code for listeners of this podcast. Three months of free hosting by using the code CHATTER. Check out Dystopia today. Links for everything will be in the description below. So check them out and then please enjoy the podcast. Okay, I believe we are live. Um, so 
Uh, hello, everyone who is listening. Hopefully this is working. Yeah, I believe it is. Um, yeah, so hello, everyone who's listening. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, today, I have the absolute pleasure to be joined by Peter McCormack, the Prince of Bedford, as I've seen you called. And uh, oh, That's host. my son. <laughs> so what, you're the king of Bedford then? Is that what I, you're saying? I'm the king. That's what. That's why I started. Yeah, it was just some stupid thing I said ages ago because Bedford's so small and nothing. I said, "Yeah, I'm the king of Bedford," just as a joke. And then my son came on Twitter and he named himself the Prince of Bedford and started trolling Peter Schiff, which was kind of funny. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic! I mean, anyone who who wants to give uh, Peter Schiff a bit of a troll is all right in my mind. Uh, that guy is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he, uh, he gets triggered very easily. <laughs> Well, you know what? He's um, he had a chance to buy Bitcoin very, very cheap, and would have been fabulously wealthier than he is. And he's already a wealthy guy, but he had a chance very, very early on. He dismissed it. He's continued to dismiss it over and over again. But now it's becoming almost embarrassing. Uh, somebody asked me to set up another debate with him, and I just replied back, "What's the point? You know, he's not somebody who enters into a discussion and says." You know, I want to listen to your opinions because my mind could be changed. His mind can't be changed. He's, you know, he's so, so entrenched in his views that it becomes a pointless discussion. Uh, but it's kind of embarrassing now because, we, you know, look at look at what where, where Bitcoin has come, especially in this last year. You know, it's a reserve asset for uh, Tesla. Um, it is a legal tender in uh, uh, El Salvador, and you know, millions of transactions are happening every single day. Billions of values being transferred around the world, and he continues to dismiss it. So it just becomes pointless. Mm. Why debate him? Yeah, I guess yeah. <laughs> like when when people ask you to debate them, it's very very rare that they think that they're going to be proved wrong. <laughs> but um, so one of the things I've been <sighs> been looking at, I guess, to start us off here is this court case that's been going on uh with craig wright and and i've been talking to kurt Wukert jr about sort of bitcoin bsv and bitcoin cash and and i was curious as to whether you think that btc is bitcoin because they sort of debate that it's actually bitcoin and does it even matter is it not just the one that's the most successful ultimately like are you a real purist in thinking that it has to be like bitcoin as such well, I'm involved in my own lawsuit with Craig Ride at the moment in the high of the UK. So there's some limitations on what I can and can't say, because uh, that's a libel lawsuit, uh, because I challenged his claims that he is Satoshi. Uh, so th- I have to be careful what I do and don't say. Uh, Kurt Jr. is not somebody uh, I would hold with any uh, high uh, credibility as somebody to discuss and debate this with. Uh, really, the, the, the debate on what is... Bitcoin is, uh, it's already been answered. Uh, Bitcoin BTC uh, is Bitcoin. Uh, Everything else, which is a fork, is a copy of Bitcoin, an attempt to uh, change some of the parameters because they believe by changing those parameters, they create a better cryptocurrency, a better form of Bitcoin. Uh, Every single one, every single instance, whether it's BSV, BCH, Bitcoin Platinum, Bitcoin gold all these forks and these attempts to create other versions of bitcoin have all failed and they the way you can measure the failure is let the market decide how does the market price these assets uh because you have to consider these assets are primarily a store of value but ultimately also a medium of exchange but that if you consider them uh based on what the market values are them if you look at bch and bsv compared uh, priced in bitcoin they've both lost you know 
probably over 90% of their value from their highs. So the market is priced that these these cryptocurrencies are not worth holding the Bitcoin. Uh, I, I, it's, these debates are almost a waste of time now. They're very small communities of people who have believed in a certain ideology regarding their cryptocurrency, and that, that's something they need to get behind. Uh, most of them is uh, based on the design of how a cryptocurrency should scale, such as Bitcoin. There's a big issue uh, that has plagued Bitcoin over the years, the discussion on how do you scale Bitcoin? Now, the ultimate goal of Bitcoin is to be decentralized. It is to subvert the state, have a form of money that cannot be controlled by a small group of people, because this is this is one of the problems Bitcoin is solving is the problems of uh, fiat currencies and how governments can, you know, at their at their whim, um, print money and, and centrally plan the economy. So Bitcoin is this idea that it's this decentralized form of money that nobody has control over. To be decentralized, it has to have as many people running nodes as possible. To have people running nodes, the blocks in the blockchain, they have to be as small a size as possible. So the big debate that happened back in 2017, which is known as the fork wars, was this idea that, oh, should you scale on-chain or off-chain? And what that means is, should you scale the number of transactions that Bitcoin can handle but in the size of the blocks in the base chain, or should you scale it in levels above it? So if at the moment the Bitcoin blockchain is essentially one megabyte, due to some uh, changes that are made with SegWit a few years ago, something known as a block weight means actually it can carry uh, a higher density of transactions. But at the same time, if people continue to use Bitcoin, the base chain does have a limit to the number of transactions it can hold. So one option is to increase the size of the block. So you can go from one megabyte, say, to two megabytes, to four megabytes. The problem with that is this the total size of the blockchain. If you run a node on your computer, it means you have an entire copy of the blockchain, so you can verify every transaction. In doing that, if you increase the size of the blockchain, you change the ability for the, you, you change who can and cannot run a node. So the total blockchain, just, just say for the sake of this conversation, is 500 gigabytes. I can download it on my laptop here and run a node. I can also go and buy a Raspberry Pi and a, a hard disk, you know, a terabyte hard disk, and I can run run that. Now, if you look at something like Ethereum, which is something that doesn't care about the size of its blockchain, which is at the moment multiple terabytes, it's very difficult for an individual to run a node. So the idea of decentralization is keeping the blockchain as small as possible. The smaller the blockchain, the easier it is for people to run nodes. Things like BSV and BCH wanted to scale and have scaled on chain. Something like Bitcoin has made the decision to scale in higher layers. So we have something called the Lightning Network, which allows you to process you know, new, like infinitely more transactions than the base chain on a higher level, yet, yet protect the integrity of the blockchain. So to me, that debate's uh, it's almost a pointless debate now. I wouldn't even bother wasting time talking to someone like Kurt. He's been proven to be uh, uh, repeatedly wrong in his ideas regarding uh, what Bitcoin is and what Bitcoin should be. The market has completely priced Bitcoin SV as something that was close to, to worthless. It's a top 10 uh, cryptocurrency in, in coin market cap to something like 67 now, and it continues to fall. So ultimately, it's it's a dead project uh, what, what, what should we call it? A dead project processing blocks hmm. rather than a dead man walking. Okay. No, that's uh, that, uh, that's a really great explanation of why you want to keep the nodes small. That's that's uh, I hadn't had someone lay it out quite so succinctly to me. So thanks. That's, that's really great, actually. <laughs> uh, it gives me a much better understanding of this. So 
One of the things that you mentioned um, during uh, one of the interviews I was listening to you um, earlier and, and yesterday was that you're you're just a Bitcoin hodler. And I really started to think about this idea of like being a, a hodler as such. And, and, and like A, where it came from and B, if it's just like, um, because I've been writing this book about, about the, the GameStop saga, um, which is just incredible. I'm not sure how much attention yeah. you've paid to it. It's, it's been, of it. yeah, it's been a ride <laughs> anyway. Um, but, uh, obviously these, are the, the, one of the memes that's been very widely shared in that community is like, okay, so we want to, we're just going to huddle, you know, we're going to huddle until the financial world breaks basically. And I was wondering if you think this is like a, a like some sort of weird new phenomenon where people will just like cling to the thing they think has value for dear life, or is this just like an internet like mimetic expression of just long term value investing, and we think we've invented this new thing as a generation? <laughs> you know, there's multiple aspects to hodling. Uh, the term actually came. I've got it here for you. It came about in 2013. It was a it was a, a typo. This guy uh who was drunk and he was on uh, a bitcoin forum and the price of bitcoin had dropped 39 percent, and he just declared i am hodling so it was a typo that became a meme but the thing about memes memes are now currency memes are marketing you know in in, in the world of social media and uh, a very short meme uh can can do way more than a uh than a blog post i mean i i put a meme out the other day it was uh it was hillary clinton talking about uh, cryptocurrencies destabling the dollar and i just replaced cryptocurrency with the word feared it's my best performing tweet in months it's like thousands <laughs> of likes so memes memes are currency but they're, they're actually very effective very important and they tell a very quick snappy story in a world of you know six second snapchats and 280 character tweets but but the the idea behind hodling actually there, there's a lot there's a lot to it and you can look at it at multiple dimensions you know we are trying to bootstrap a new financial network into the world we're trying to demonetize fiat currencies and bring to life this new form of money which has this fixed limit with this very strict monetary policy so one of the things that is if like if you if you're hodling you're holding you're here for the long term you're here to support the network you know you're here to say i don't care what happens to the price i'm going to hodl for year after year but there's another point to hodling is that it's this avoidance of uh, emotions it's very easy when you first start buying Bitcoin because it's super volatile to get caught into the emotions. You know, it goes up $2,000 and drops $5,000 and goes up $3,000. Like it jumps all over the place. When you're first involved, I've seen it myself and I've seen other people do it. They get very emotional with it and suddenly react and panic and sell. So the idea of hodling is just forgetting about the volatility. It's continuing to stack your sets, continue to increase the size of your Bitcoin position and hodling through these volatile times. So yeah, the hodl terms uh, serves multiple purposes, but uh, really it is just a meme and you know, memes are currency. Yeah. I mean, the, to what extent do you think like memes are literally in charge of the world? Because I, I've actually been, been trying to, to think about this of late and I wrote um, an article and did like a video about six months ago where I was like, look, if you make, if you just figure out what is the most memeable future, that is what's going to happen at this point. <laughs> like we're so far down the line in terms of uh, just like stupid things coming true. Like there, I don't think half the events of the last ten years happened without memes, um, <laughs> which seems, sounds like ridiculous as like a historical driving force. But 
Like, do you do you, do you think that there's there's any merit to that idea, or am I just like seeing crazy things? Oh, I don't know, man. I mean, look, I think memes can both be used to predict the future and both tell the story of history. Um, it just depends what the meme is and who created it at what point. But memes are integral idea. I mean, just look the previous leader of the free world, Mr. Donald Trump, was an absolute genius at memeing into the world. Uh, memeing to me is just it's just storytelling. It's just it's it's what sort it is. And we, you know, we since the dawn of time, since humans could first uh pick up rocks and carve things into caves, we've told stories and we've told stories in long form, we've told them in short form. Um, you and I do podcasts which are long-form storytelling. It's trying to extract a story for somebody, someone to listen to and understand. Memes are just a form of storytelling. That's all it is. Very snappy ways of telling stories. But they're also, they're not in isolation. They almost can become like a series. Like, like they're almost something that promotes a, a specific way of thinking about a particular subject. So, for example, HODL is a meme, but itself can have multiple versions of the HODL, multiple versions of the graphics. You know, you can see all different types of ways that that meme has been expressed over time. But really, I just see, I just see memes as storytelling, their marketing, their communication, you know, there are just you 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 can they sit alongside every other form of communication. You, you know, if you want to tell a story out there, you can write a blog post, you can record a made a film, you can you can create a meme. Um, memes are though very usually very reactionary to like a certain event. Um, so yeah, I don't know, man. I just I just think they're another tool of storytelling. Mm. So this idea that that Bitcoin might like facilitate some sort of financial revolution is obviously this one that's talked about quite a lot by by bitcoin maximalists and in as with a lot of these ideas like when you talk about it in theory i'm all in i'm like okay this sounds like a fantastic way to escape the 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 very very i don't yeah okay the very very corrupt financial system that that currently sort of runs the the world <laughs> essentially and I believe that we need to like get out of that. I understand how how Bitcoin could potentially be used as a as an alternate form of of like global currency. Um, if if not by itself amongst other other cryptos and and other sort of um, CBDCs and and like as a whole uh, like yeah a plethora of potential things in the future. Where do you see that crossover? Because obviously this has to go from from being something that's that's looked at by like that libertarian tech utopian internet cultural sort of center, and it has to move to being used by everybody. How do you think we get there without government saying, "Well, <laughs> screw you," um, <laughs> basically? See, that's an interesting thing because Bitcoin doesn't need everyone to be using it. It just doesn't. Um, the great thing about Bitcoin is that you or I at any point can choose to operate a Bitcoin standard. We can choose to live on a Bitcoin standard. I pretty much do now. So let's explain what that means. Because in the current world, if you hold pounds or euros or dollars, you know, hold them in your bank account, you will be lucky if you're even getting half a percent interest. But we know inflation in various parts of the world. Uh, the US is 6.2%. I think it's 4% in the UK. It's 20% in Turkey. You, know, you really have to spend that money because if you don't, you're losing purchasing power. You're 
your 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 money your money is essentially losing value due to government policy. So the, the idea with Bitcoin is that you you change your time preference. You know, you delay your gratification. You say, do do I want to buy what I want to buy today, or can I wait? And the reason that is, the reason it's created that is this this four year cycle that Bitcoin seems to go on. Every four years, it sees this big acceleration in price. You know, this volatile times in between, but it tends to do this like five to ten x every four years. So if I wanted to buy a car right now, the consideration is okay. The car costs forty thousand pounds. Well, do I really need that car? Because in ten years, in four years' time, that might be four hundred thousand dollars. That might buy me a house. So it, you start to change your time preference. So once you put yourself on a Bitcoin standard, you start to make those considerations. You don't need anyone else to be on it. You're just on it yourself. So it doesn't need everyone to come around to it. It just needs. Uh, it just what does it need? I mean, to, then I guess its need depends on what your what your goal is. I mean, there has to be enough liquidity in the market, enough people who care about Bitcoin to buy and sell it on a daily basis. That if you do want to sell some to buy something, but that liquidity is exists is, is existed for years now. Um, now, I think the question really asking is that if the goal is to have a better form of money globally, how how do we actually get there? How, where do we reach the tipping point? But what that tipping point is, I don't know how you measure that. Because it's not like one day we're going to wake up and every country is suddenly going to be on a Bitcoin standard and using Bitcoin. I think it's just going to be this transitionary period where there's just going to be different events. Where somebody, you know, if you look going 50 years time, and somebody writes the history of Bitcoin, you know, in 50 years time, say the majority of the world owns Bitcoin, is using Bitcoin, the majority of settlement globally is on Bitcoin. They'll re- when they write the history, point to key times and things that happened. You know, we had the fork wars, which we talked about earlier, where we learned about what Bitcoin really is. You know, you'll talk about the the, the September the seventh, I think September the seventh, two thousand twenty-one, when Bitcoin became legal legal tender in El Salvador, and what that meant being the first country. And we'll probably have a chapter on what the countries were that came after that, and then we'll have a t- chapter about a country which didn't just go on a uh, didn't just make bitcoin legal tender made it the only currency of the, the the country so it's really difficult to point to a specific time or a specific specific event to say this is what needs to happen because there is none hmm. yeah, bitcoin is just like this organic beast that continues to just like eat eat stuff up it, it kind of eats up parts of the financial sector it brings people into it who understand it and uh, it just it's just continued to grow i mean it was it's now one point two trillion dollar asset. I mean, that might have changed because the price is always changing, but it's a it's it's definitely over a trillion dollar asset now, yeah, which is huge. I mean, some people will remember the time where it was a hundred million. Some people will remember the time when it was a million. You know, in five years' time, we might be talking it might be a ten trillion dollar asset. It might be bigger than gold. So, I don't think there's a specific time or event. I just think there are a series of events where this thing continues to take over. Mm. That's interesting. Now, one of the things you'd been been speaking about on that, I think it was that Alex Gladstein, Eric Borges episode that I was listening to, was the idea that proof of stake, um, in a way, was was vaguely following the problems of the current like fiat financial system in that they were like it's that it's based on a whole bunch of debt, basically, right? Um, and it's what's well, a Cantillian effect. Mm. Okay, so the- you know the Cantil the, Can- the Cantillian effect being that uh, those closest money printer are the ones that benefit from it. So as the government increases the money supply, uh, those closest to the creation of the money are the ones that tend to benefit from it most. And we've you know we've seen that through 
the lockdowns over the last 18 months as governments have continued to print cash to prop the economy up. We've minted lots and lots of new billionaires and, you know, the, the billionaires we're aware of now are, are supremely richer and you know, the middle class has been squeezed and you know, the working class has been squeezed. So that's the Cantillion effect. And the thing about Bitcoin is, is that it operates on a system of proof of work. Um, so the proof of work uh, consensus, consensus mechanism says that anyone can create a miner, anyone can sorry set up a mine and start mining Bitcoin, and they have to expend energy to mine that Bitcoin. And those who can source their energy at the cheapest and mine the most efficient are the most profitable. But anyone can go out and do that, which gives Bitcoin this thing, which is uh, Nick Zabo talked about, which is unforgeable costliness. There is a costliness to create that money. Now, Ethereum wants to move to something called proof of stake, which rather than miners mining the Bitcoin and expending energy, you stake your coins. So your coins, you stake them, and you get a reward for that. The problem with that is Ethereum firstly had something that's known as a pre-mine, where the creators of Ethereum were granted a whole bunch of the supply, and they are supremely rich now. Now, they get to stake those coins and continue to benefit from that. So it... it, it, it it continues to, uh, it continues, how do I put this? Well, look, it, the Cantillion effect widens the wealth gap and proof of stake will do the same. Okay. So the, the thing that, that then um, I was thinking about after that was this, um, there's a there's an effect that, or a, like an, an, an effect in, in nature and in finance that, that Jordan Peterson actually talks about a lot. It's called the Pareto distribution. I don't know if you're familiar with it. 8020 um essentially yeah it's it's the the then yeah that he he says that well he he argues that it's even more extreme that it's but it's essentially this this 8020 rule that 80% of the of the gains will go to 20% of the people and i've made, i've seen some people arguing that this is kind of happening um in the the bitcoin world where um the the idea is that the the most of everything will concentrate in the hands of a very few group of people. And it's, it's like a, it's, I don't want to call it a fundamental rule of nature, but it seems to like recreate itself across, across many different things. If left unchecked, like for example, our current economic yep. system, like people would argue we need to have like controls and taxes and whatnot to, to stop that happening. Whether you agree with that or not is, is fair enough. But like, it is happening like when things are left unchecked um especially in the money tends to accumulate in the the hands of fewer and fewer people and that is there a is there a is there a problem that that could happen with bitcoin is that a fear of yours and do you see that that being an issue like you're just recreating the the things that have led to so much sort of inequality um and yeah sort of Un I understand. I understand where you go with things. this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're you're not going to have an even distribution of capital in any any financial oh. system. No, no, I'm just, not, it's I'm just not the way it is. That, yeah, we should or anything. Yeah, no, no, no. But 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 what I'm saying is, I, I agree with you. I agree with the, your analysis is that you don't have equal distribution. Um, you know, you know, your 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 system is made up of you know millions of different actors who some are more productive than others some are luckier than others some inherit more than others you know we're all different players within the system and yes you will get uh, uh concentrations of wealth yeah that's something that we just have to accept what i care about is is the system itself fair not whether you know because fairness of uh like when we discuss whether it's fair that some people are richer than others 
that's really a subjective idea. You know, is that is it fair that you have billionaires when there's people who can't even eat? That's a subjective idea, and it's a very difficult idea to debate uh, certain people on because they come from a very left idea that you know we should tax and redistribute in- income. And I'm not anti-tax, but historically those those who've gone too far on the socialist left side of well let's not even say left but on the socialist redistribution of income side of things historically hasn't really worked out didn't really work out for the ussr isn't really working out for cuba despite what people say you need some form of like competition and incentives within the market now we will we will never have equal distribution unless we have communism but what I care about is, is the system and the rules within the system fair? So the rules within the current system isn't fair because a few, a small group of people, whether it's a central bank or the government, get to make the decisions which affect the money supply, which ultimately affects the people. So, you know, our inflation is relatively low here, but the decisions of Erdogan, currently the dictator of Turkey, have led to 20% inflation. Now, I saw a tweet where somebody was like, oh, it's great, I went to Turkey, everything's brilliant, everything's cheap. And somebody replied, I tweeted it out today, and said, not for us living here. You know, things are getting very, very expensive because of the inflation. Now, that's happening because of people's hard work and the money they've created, the wealth they've managed to create is being wiped out because of poor decision-making by a few people running that country and ultimately a dictator. And we've seen it not, you know, it's pretty bad there. We've seen it in... I think it's in Argentina now. So it's like forty percent above forty percent inflation, and you know they've been through multiple high inflation. We've had hyperinflation in Venezuela, where people have literally had their money wiped out. Even now in Lebanon, people have had their wealth wiped out. Okay, that's because the in system Venezuela is unfair. Li- the thing about the Bitcoin, the Bitcoin system is fair, but you just won't have equal distribution, and that's just a natural part of the system. You're only, you're only. Um, the only alternative to that is have central confiscation and redistribution, and that itself is an unfair system. Do you think that there's um, a chance, even a small chance, that governments just get on board with with say Bitcoin and and that sort of th- and and just cryptocurrency more generally? Um, do you see them fighting it all the way, or because? I don't know. I I keep seeing these these joke things about someone who's like you know someone just tried to to sell me some some shit coin. You know, it's like a four point three trillion dollar supply, and you know they're constantly printing more money of it, and it's like all held by a tiny amount of people, and be like, no way, that's the U.S. dollar. Um, like, is is Bitcoin and, and cryptocurrency and and the idea that like a financial system could exist without a central bank essentially is that is that too radical for our political system to deal with as as it currently stands at least anyway yeah there's no i mean there's no straight answer answer for that because every government's just different i mean it was too radical for china and they've essentially banned it and they've uh, they banned bitcoin mining which is probably going to prove to be one of the most uh, uh poor decisions by any government in the history of governments uh, it's also banned in Bolivia. I think it might be banned in Pakistan. So those countries have made the decision that they're not going to allow it. Now we have countries like uh, ours in Europe, which 
haven't banned it, but are making it a little bit difficult mm. and making it challenging for you to maybe connect your bank to exchange and buy Bitcoin. Mm. Then you've got the US, which is a little bit more pro-Bitcoin. I'll come back to them in a second. Then you've got El Salvador, which is totally pro-Bitcoin, which has made it legal tender. Now, the thing is, there's a really good opportunity for small countries like El Salvador, like Estonia, like Malta, and that they could be crypto friendly or Bitcoin friendly and create the environment for entrepreneurs to feel like they are able to build a business in their country in this industry, but also feel like they're not going to be attacked for owning this cryptocurrency, which gives you a regulatory arbitrage where you can say, okay, if the UK is going to take behind this and it's going to make it difficult for me for the user. I'll go and live in another country where I've got zero capital gains and I am welcomed as a Bitcoiner. Mm. So that regulatory arbitrage exists. I think the way the game theory plays out is in the end, everyone has to accept what Bitcoin is. I mean, right now, uh, Costa Rica is, wants to implement a, a 13% VAT on cryptocurrency purchases. That's like going on holiday and going to the Bureau of Exchange and saying, okay, I'm going to the US, I want to buy, you know, I want $1,000 and they charge you $130 on top to have that. They're actually, it doesn't make sense to charge VAT on, on currencies. And yet, just around the corner, you get El Salvador, which has 0% uh, tax on Bitcoin. So why would why would a Bitcoiner go to Costa Rica? They're not going to. They're going to go to El Salvador. I think the US is the most interesting one at the moment. You know, a, a big lens on on the Fed at the moment because of the high inflation rate. So a you know, big lens on, on uh, the policies that are coming out of the government in terms of uh, uh, continuing to to buy up um, um, securities because these high inflation rates really affect people. And what you're seeing now is a new wave of uh, politician who's coming through, who's being what we say orange pill. They're being uh, taught about Bitcoin, what it is and what it means. And in the end, the role of a politician, despite most of them being absolute dickheads, is to support the electorate. You know, you, you support us. Okay, if you if the federal government is continuing to debase my currency, they are not supporting us. So why what, should I vote for you? So Bitcoin has become a hack for politicians. They can come and say, no, oh, you know, what? hold on, we don't like what the federal government's doing here. You know, what? we like sound money. We're going to support Bitcoin here. Texas is prime. Texas is welcome to Bitcoiners. You know, whether it's Governor Abbott, who I recently met, or Ted Cruz, they've realized that actually the federal government is screwing up the money system and that Bitcoin is a, is a lifeboat to people. It's the same. You've got the same in Florida. You've got Mayor Francis. You've got uh, in Miami. You've got Wyoming with Senator Lummis up in Ohio. You've got Congressman Warren Davidson. Then you've got a new breed of people, new people challenging for seats in Congress and who are starting to welcome, come to the idea of Bitcoin. The reason that works in the US is because they have the state system. In that they want, like the states are in competition with each other. You know, San, Fran San Francisco right now is an absolute basket case. You've got companies, you've got retailers closing down because they put in place a law where they can't arrest anyone who steals under $1,000 of, of goods. So people are just walking into stores, picking up a load of clothes and walking out. Walgreens closing. Um, uh, I think Walmart's haven't closed, but, but it's not even just that. I don't understand Why would how, that you? Rule, how that works. Like, have you been to San Francisco since they've had that in place? Yeah. Like, no, but, no, but I've been I've been there for the last ten years and watched its demise. I but I don't understand how you can't prosecute. So so I can just walk into any store and take seven hundred and forty nine dollars of stuff and they can't prosecute me. 
Yeah, yes. It's it's what? just lib- it's just it's it's liberal politics gone mad, where people where people are tr- think they're being kind, but they don't understand the consequences of their decisions. So add to that, add to the fact that people are shitting on the streets, add to the fact that people are getting attacked by uh, people who are high on drugs. There is no the, the policies of that of of the, certainly that city, but that state. Are, are have gone so extreme that making what were successful cities unlivable. So somebody living there thinking, hmm, I've got a high property tax, I've got high state tax, people are shitting on the floor by my house, I've got druggies attacking people, I've got stores closing down because people are stealing goods from them. This sounds a bit shit. Oh, I can go to Texas where I've got no state tax and I've got a police force which is enforcing it's it, 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 which is which is arresting people who are committing crimes. I'll go and live there. We don't have that in the UK, which is what sucks. We kind of had it through Europe, but not really because we didn't realise it was competition. But we don't really have that in the UK. I, whether I live in Bedford or whether I live in Manchester, I've still got the same rules. So this is a great advantage to the US, which is one of the things that, reasons I don't see the US banning Bitcoin. I actually see that it's very unlikely. So listen, look. I think we. I think the d- debate of whether Bitcoin is here to stay or whether it's going to be banned, we're beyond that now. It's part of the financial system. You know, it's, you know, you can buy f- Bitcoin futures now. Tesla have got it on their balance sheet. You know, the tens of thousands, or maybe hundreds of thousands, of employed in that industry. Mm. And you know what? A lot of Bitcoin is held by Americans. That would be destroying a lot of wealth if you destroy try to destroy Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah, and there's there's like there's definitely a, a sort of class of of Bitcoin. Uh, maxis or or whatever just sort of building up that have become incredibly wealthy like if you look at people like uh jake paul or the winkle boss twins or you know there's the there's a whole group of people sort of um yeah starting to to become very wealthy in this community to the point where they have enough influence um so one of the ideas i'm 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 interested in i've been listening to a lot of alex gladstein's work um essentially trying to figure out how Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, um, blockchain technology helps us reimagine how our system functions, basically. So I was I've also been listening to um, the there's a recent Joe Rogan episode with Tristan Harris and oh I'll butcher his name Daniel something. He's an evolutionary biologist and systems thinker, and they're essentially yeah. talking about how we design. Um, how we utilize the benefits of technology in order to strengthen our democracy rather than to, yeah, destroy it in a way that technology is arguably doing at the minute in terms of like polarization and, yeah, other social issues that it's causing. So what way do you see Bitcoin helping us to change this system or just the broader technology and community or has it already changed it and we don't realize the the implications of of what has already happened Hmm. i don't think it's changed it yet i don't think it changed it yet you know the politicians are meant to serve the people Hmm. okay that's their fundamental role to serve the electorate they tell us their policies we vote for them meant to serve us you know when they no longer serve us it's tyranny and we are seeing we are seeing democracies doing things that feel tyrannical uh i am vaccinated 
I support the idea of vaccines. I'm, I'm quite a lone voice in the Bitcoin world with that, but I think there are a lot of people who should be vaccinated. And I don't think vaccines are a panacea for solving the, the COVID crisis, but I do think there are certain people that should, and it definitely has reduced uh, uh, the severity of the condition in a number of people. That said, I do not support mandates. I do not support the idea that Austria will lock down and separate half of the, well, a percentage of the society and say, you, you're the dirty ones. You're the unclean ones. You're the unvaccinated. You need to, you know, we need to lock you away. Do not support that. That is tyrannical. So what we need are checks and balances in place that hold government to account. Uh, the US, in some ways, has it with their Second Amendment. You know, they have the right to bear arms. They have that ability to form a militia if they really want to. I don't know if it'll ever happen. But we need checks and balances. Uh, and one of those checks and balances is, is the checks and balance over money. Uh, when you have control of the money, you have power. And I personally believe we need a separation of money and state. We want to take control of the money away from the state because giving them the money, the ability to print money, it means they can do what they want without consequence. You know, during the lockdowns, a lot of companies closed. A lot of people lost their businesses, whether it's cafes or hairdressers, or whatever. I spoke to a lot of people. They just lost their businesses because of it. Do you think a single government employee lost their job? Mm. No, because when they make the decisions, there are no consequences. Like if you choose not to work, you choose not to earn money, and you have to face those consequences. Again, they don't face that in government. So I think one of the big changes that Bitcoin can bring, and I'm not one of these anarcho-capitalists who believes that society can't operate without any kind of like central central decision making on certain things. You know, border protection, uh, you know, nuclear nuclear policy and nuclear waste uh, disposal, things like that. You know, I'm not one of those, pe those people. But I do, but I support the idea that if we have a form of money which can hold government to account, which is harder for them for tax, that they can't print, you know, it, it means the government will have to run a budget like you or I do. Like, I can't go out and spend any money I want because I have to pay my mortgage and pay the bills and make sure my kids are fed and clothed. You know, the government itself needs a budget. And if it can't stick to its budget, then it has to make the decisions. So, yeah. I like the idea that Bitcoin will make government smaller, make it more responsible. I'm not one of those people who thinks it will get rid of it, but I think we're away we're, we're away from that. You know, I think that's something that you know that's you know, years, decades away. Mm, okay, so um, one of the things I would say to that is that so over the last year or so, I've I've been having a lot of conversations with people about um, about like what is money. Um, how monetary policy works, how tax works, and, and just I've been trying to understand the financial system that Bitcoin is attempting to replace, essentially. Um, and I've come to the conclusion that the, uh, just this is my thoughts at least anyway, that, that it's not a bad thing for um, a government to have control of their currency. Uh, so, for example, we, we talked very briefly about, about Brexit there before we started. So, I think that it's a good thing that we still have the pound because Britain has control of its currency. And one of the things that I see as a weakness, however big a weakness you can debate that, but of, of Europe is that each individual country no longer has control of their currency. Um, and I, I, I see that as being a very powerful tool of the state. And, and one that can be wielded in a really, really good way, essentially. Like, we've seen what can happen when um, 
when governments decide to take the power of the state and spend it on like infrastructure and you know yeah just localized spending projects and in, instead of you know I, obviously there's this trope that governments just you know waste the money and blow up the deficit but like i don't know maybe i'm optimistic but i believe that there's a, a like another side to that where if we had the right people in the position and the institutions hadn't become horrendously corrupted that it could do some good but if you take that away then the, the state no longer has that power like do you, are you just an advocate for that the government shouldn't have that much power because i could see that case or, or like do you, do you see that as a bad thing if that was removed essentially is my is my question yeah i, I used to agree with you i used i i did used to think that one of the benefits that the uk had over europe is as control of its uh money but with that it kind of you know, since I've discovered Bitcoin and 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 understood, you know, what it what the money printer means and what inflation is, I've actually started to realize that's whilst that's a strength of the state, it's a weakness of the electorate, because I think one th one thing the government is very good at doing is taxing people. One thing it's very good at bad at doing is spending. You know, I mean. Yeah, I mean, just look at the HS2 project. When they talk about the costs of that, I'm like, what the fuck? How is that costing that much money? Yeah. And you look at all the, the problem I have, the problem I have really is the majority of people employed by the state are morons who don't face severe consequences for poor decision making. Yeah. I'm not saying everyone, there's probably some great people, there's some, probably some great civil servants out there, but a lot of them are morons, right? They, they can't, like, they don't face the competition of the private marketplace okay now i create a podcast if i do a shit job people stop listening and go and listen to a different podcast right if if i run a if i have a hairdresser and i'm shit at cutting hair people will go to a different hairdresser if i raise my prices too much the market figures itself out the market figures out for each service what is the best price to pay for that that doesn't exist within the state like, look, I'm a huge supporter of the NHS. I think it's brilliant what we have with the NHS, but it's completely flawed because it has an un essentially an unlimited money to go for. Essentially, when I say essentially, what I mean is, is that it doesn't face bankruptcy. It just face, uh, faces when it spends too much money on a service which is stretched. But a, but a privatized health service would have to make different decisions. So, for example... I can get an appointment with the doctor whenever I want, okay? Whenever I want. I mean, it might take three weeks. Now, there's a private doctor's near me now. You can get an appointment within the next two days if you wanted to pay £50, okay? As a private service, they figured out a way to monetize flaws in the NHS. So by saying we have a strength of the pound, what we're saying is that we support the idea that the government is spending money. It's better at spending money than the free market. It's better at solving problems than the free market. And usually it isn't. I mean, how many stories do we hear about wasted government spending or projects going to friends of people within parliament? Mm. So, yeah, I used to think that. Now I don't. Now I don't. Now I just think what we need is a more free market for uh, money and a more free market for the, the development of what are the best ideas. Mm. I mean, maybe I'll end up there eventually. Like, I just... <laughs> was it you go from naivety to skepticism to wisdom so maybe i'm not quite at wisdom yet <laughs> do you own bitcoin do you own bitcoin mm -hmm. 
Yeah. I okay, mean, I, I, my plan is stack sats. I mean, my income is very small at the minute due to the, the small nature of this podcast. And I'm spending a lot of time writing my book about GameStop. But every little bit that I can, it's like mostly uh, either GameStop or Bitcoin. That's what I'm buying. <laughs> um, still buy GameStop. Oh, yeah, man. This is not over. I mean, like, this is what I mean. I, d- I don't know how, how familiar you are with it. Um, it's... It's so far from over, I can't even begin to explain. And I have never witnessed, this is why I started writing the book about it, because I was in it from January and watched the community, like not only not get bored, but get like hyper-focused on exposing the level of corruption that this saga has, has, yeah, exposed in a way. And they're still pushing. They still think it's going to go to the moon. And I think they might be right. Um, Because, yeah. Uh, GameStop are planning some very cool things. So um, this this sort of links to two questions that people had, had sort of put in the in the chat here. So cool. the, at the minute, the idea is that GameStop are going to trigger uh, this going to the moon by proving that there are way more shares in circulation that should exist by issuing an NFT dividend based on the Ethereum blockchain. So a lot of people okay. who are in the GameStop community are both very bullish on Ethereum because it, like, quote-unquote, does everything. And um, they're also very interested in the idea of, of NFTs, um, especially fractionalized ones or using NFTs as a dividend financially. Um, have you come across, like, A, that idea before, and B, do you think Ethereum has the flexibility that people suggest it does? Yeah. So, yeah. So I'm, I'm not really, I've not really taken an interest too much in NFTs uh, because I don't really take an interest in protocols outside of Bitcoin because uh, I'm, I'm fully sold on the mission of what Bitcoin is. Bitcoin is, we're trying to do one thing. We're trying to create better money and with better money, we, we hope we create a better world just due to the mal incentives of, of fiat currency, which aren't pegged to anything and the ability to just print money. I mean, look, Nixon took the US off the gold standard to pay for the Vietnam War, to pay for war, to go and drop bombs and napalm over villages in, in Vietnam. And you know, an absolute clusterfuck that was. Uh, you know, the, the, the Gulf War is intrinsically linked to the petrodollar. Uh, the petrodollar... Uh, was used by Saudi to, well, the relationship between the Saudi, uh, you should go and listen to my interview with um, Nick Carter and Glassstein regarding the petrodollar, but the petrodollar is intrinsically linked to uh, the Gulf War. And, and we've seen what's happened with Saudi also essentially committing atrocities uh, where, where, uh, in fuck, what a moron. Yemen. Yemen, in Yemen. Uh and they have the they have the shield of the U.S. because they took the petrodollar to price oil, and in in return they supplied them with arms. So like so much war and destruction is is linked to the mal incentives of fiat currencies, which aren't really pegged to anything. So I, I'm in this for one thing, which is a world which has a better form of money, and that's all I want to work on. Ethereum isn't here to create better money. It just isn't, and it isn't a better form of money. You know, it is fundamentally unsound money with a flexible, loose monetary policy. So I've just really taken little interest in uh, Ethereum rather than just laughing at it, and therefore I've taken little interest in NFTs. Now, I've I've heard one idea of NFTs that I find mildly interesting: the idea that you can maybe buy a concert ticket or a cinema ticket, an NFT, and you can scan that and get into a, a venue because. 
really whether the the protocol has long-term uh viability is really irrelevant as long as i can use it on saturday to get in my cinema then it's fine but no i'm 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 not interested in nfts uh, i think it's a bubble and I'm, I'm not really interested in other protocols so sorry Fucking, why didn't i forget yemen's name there don't yeah don't apologize to me old, i mean i'm old age old i'm so age. bad with names I mean, isn't it a thing? Some people are <laughs> good with names and some people are better with numbers. Um, like some people are really amazing at remembering dates or like statutes. Or I, I find that when I was in, when I was studying and I did law, there were certain people who could just like rhyme off statutes. Be like, oh yeah, that's the 1968 Criminal Act, Section 4, Subsection B, uh, point, <laughs> point C. And you'd be like, what? Hang on. Like, I can't even remember what it says, let alone where it's from. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, what do you think yeah. of um, the the whole metaverse idea that that well Zuckerberg and many people are trying to create? Like, is this is this where the world is going? And do you see some form of of Lightning Network as being the like currency of exchange in there, or do you think it would be created by whoever the creators of said metaverse or whatever digital world you're entering do you think it's going to be like their created currency or do you think we're going to have like internet wide digital space wide currencies yeah it's a great question i'd be interesting interested to see what happens with the metaverse uh, i put out a tweet once i think i said what about the multi metaverse because we talk about the multiverse as a potential theory yeah uh, in astrophysics but the, the uh, it was really a joke and then we had uh, the announcement last week that the winklevoss has uh, taken 400 million investment into gemini uh, to build their own version of the metaverse, but their idea is to build a decentralized metaverse. Mm. I think the idea of a centralized metaverse operated by Facebook or Meta, what they're called now, controlled by Mark Zuckerberg, it sounds like my idea of hell. It's like a <laughs> they're, they're ba- basically creating what the Matrix the Matrix was. Um, and uh, I just, you know, the history of Facebook's history isn't particularly pretty, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you can say that. They haven't really cared for privacy. Uh, uh, yeah, they haven't really, uh, they don't really have too much integrity. Um, now, I actually, I actually like the race between Twitter and, and Facebook, where for years Facebook seems to be here, but like Twitter's now catching them up. And the Jack Dorsey was essentially the, the tortoise, and Facebook was the hare. And you know, he's building a much more stro- uh, structurally robust uh, social media. Uh, platform now look don't get me wrong twitter isn't without its flaws and there are some serious questions over de-platforming and censorship i know i understand that but that said it's no facebook uh the idea of uh, plugging into myself into a metaverse operated by facebook seems like a my idea of hell maybe it's just my age but i'm 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 really wanting to spend more of my time outside and in nature and enjoying the real world but i could see how my kids were like oh dad no i can go in there and i get to be this person living this like amazing ready player one style life where i can be a racing car driver i can be this and that and that's cool whatever uh, i'm much more into the idea of a decentralized metaverse which is what the winklevoss want to build i think that's a much better idea a decentralized metaverse that isn't controlled by any individual is certainly something we should strive for and i would support them in everything they do and then then the idea will be look if it's uh, if it's the centralized facebook metaverse versus the decentralized metaverse my expectation is that the free market and the decentralized metaverse will figure out its currency whereas the centralized metaverse will use whatever mark zuckerberg chooses which is probably some shit coin that they create uh, if it's the decentralized metaverse then it'll be you know a plethora it could be 
uh, Bitcoin. It could be Bitcoin across the Lightning Network, and it could be any number of shitcoins. And the and the decentralized nature of that market will decide which currencies people wish to accept and use. Hmm. I really like that idea you've just brought up, actually, of the the multi metaverse. Like, what if these are all the different dimensions? What if, like, what if this is like, what if we're literally summoning the, you know, what if we're the ones creating all the different dimensions in in the future by creating different metaverses that evolve and become their own thing? Like, what if this is literally well, what it? <laughs> the consequences of the metaverse. What if it's so cool inside the metaverse that you like real life is depressing? What if your life's so fucking miserable? Like you go to work and you've got a shit job and then you get home and you just can't wait to plug yourself in because you suddenly get to transport yourself into a world where you're some superhero or some, you know, whatever, whatever it is. Like you get to be somebody else. You you get to you get to rebrand yourself inside the metaverse. But what are the consequences of that? Like addiction in there. You know, if you die in the metaverse, what happens? Like there's a lot of I feel like there's a lot of discussions that need to be have about the consequences of the metaverse i mean my kids already spend too much time on tiktok i mean what how much time would they spend inside the metaverse what's that going to do for their mental health you know i don't think we're questioning this enough yeah i was listening to a very interesting thing yesterday actually about um it was a an interview with with yeah with jordan peterson actually on uh from a dutch company vpro who or vpro who actually did the documentary i did about gamestop that's coming out um next year um so they they were basically asking him about about technology and what it does to kids and um he believes that there's uh there's there's going to be serious issues coming from children's lack of fantasy sort of playing in that like that he thinks that there's a, something really inherently needed about that that i don't know imagining just that, that you need like like the three four five years in your childhood where you know you're you're the one inventing all these like worlds that you're playing in and that the screens are the things that are that, that they're going to be causing and they probably are like he thinks that that's the source of a lot of the mental health problems um and kids these days is that they're not getting that play so maybe the metaverse would actually do that. Maybe we're just in like a, a low resolution version of, of what could happen. So that at the minute technology is like not able to accurately like recreate that. But then in 20 years when it's so realistic, it might be able to like offer that sort of psychological development that we're not able to. But I, I get the feeling that there's probably something that we're never going to get from technology that we get from the what, real world what if in the metaverse you can create a job or find a job something you're really good at in the metaverse which means you don't need a job in the real world so you go into the metaverse as your job to earn money because you because because you're successful maybe you sell real estate there maybe you're a you know you're competing some kind of racing card thing and you're the best what if you're so good that your entire income is derived from what you do inside the metaverse and then you only come out of the metaverse to sleep. But what about if somebody within the metaverse says, hey, while you're sleeping, we can use your energy that you're creating, your heat energy. We can use that. So whilst you're sleeping, you can sell your, you know, the energy created while you're sleeping to us in the metaverse. You are suddenly in the metaverse. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like... It yeah, my best friend said to me the other day, he was like, yeah, this is the Matrix. Like, that's what Mark Zuckerberg is making. I, mm -hmm. and, and 
I can't remember who it was that, that tweeted it. It might have been Tim Dillon. He was like, well, there's nothing more reassuring about, you know, the quality of life when the bit, one of the richest people in the world is so unfulfilled with the real world that he's going to go create a whole digital one for himself to exist in. <laughs> to, be, to be honest, you know, you, I think it's the porn companies, like every other technology innovation are going to lead the way with the metaverse. Everyone's going to be able to go in there and have sex with whoever they want, however they want. Has no one seen the Futurama episode? Do you know the one I mean? <laughs> you know where they're like, where where Fry Fry um, he gets a robot that looks like someone I can't remember who it is, some TV star from like the nineties, and he just only wants to like hang out and have sex with the the robot, and then you know, Doctor Farnsworth is like, didn't you see the film? And it's like some film they show all kids in in like the year 3000 it's like don't don't get like don't have sex with robots don't get into these relationships because otherwise we'll never have children and the human race will die because um, <laughs> and yeah it's a joke but it's real like if we all go in there that's yeah. us we're, we're done like you know i guess we gotta well i think we're living at the best and worst of times the best times in that we got to live through this new like era of technological innovation where we went from you know an old phone where we had to dial to phone our friends to like suddenly having a super computer in our pocket that's made our lives immensely better. But we're also on the verge of so much technological innovation that can, we can actually have the ability to completely destroy ourselves. So we, we got the perfect time. I think just in that slot, I think, I think my time will be done just before we destroy ourselves. Uh, we are gods, but for the wisdom, I think is the quote. Um, but the, do you think do you think that's actually the case? Are we are we are we at the at this end or because a lot of people think we're at the start? Like and and I kind of I like to believe that at least anyway. You know we if we it seems that there's a good chance that we're in a position where like we can have our cake and eat it too. Like technology is getting like in, in just exponentially more brilliant. Um, and as long as we don't allow greed and power-hungry people to completely destroy the system, we have a ridiculously positive future, like, potentially in front of us. Like, we, we have to take the right oh, steps, yeah. but, like, all the potential is there for things to be absolutely incredible. Like, I think I think they expect absolute... The UN expects ab absolute poverty to be gone by the year 2030. Like, What? That's that. That's just mind-bogglingly amazing. Like that. That means that no one will be starving theoretically, but for like horrendous governance in whatever country they're in. Like, imagine what I think what we destroy ourselves. Do. You think we destroy ourselves? Yeah, I think we destroy ourselves because it only takes one psychopath with the wrong technology to destroy us. Like CRISPR, the ability to, you know, the ability for like some psychopath to be able to create. Yeah, you know, all the worst combinations of all, all diseases, like take Ebola and make it as virile and contagious as COVID. <laughs> you know, something like that. Well, I don't know. I just, I feel like we destroy ourselves somehow. <laughs> I should be more positive, but I feel like we destroy ourselves. Why are you stacking sats if the world's going to end now? <laughs> I, th I think it ends, I think it ends after me. I think, I, th I think I've got like a decade or two before it ends, but okay. I, th I think we destroy ourselves. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, uh, well, we can, yeah, we can end with this, but I tend to be quite positive about things. Um, like we've, we've had, we've had the capability to destroy ourselves for 75 years and we haven't, not yet, thankfully.
Yeah, true, true, true. Yeah, well, we'll see. We'll see. Anyway, keep stacking stats in the process. Yes. Um, so do you want to point your um, your people towards anything of yours that you've been you've done of late? Any particular podcast? I know you mentioned that one with Nick Carter about the petrodollar. Um, was there anything else? Oh, that's, yeah, I mean, just like if you're going to Bitcoin and learn about it, go to whatbitcoindid.com. I've interviewed so many different people. There's so many good interviews there. They will teach you if you want to learn about mining or if you want to learn about the history of money, whatever aspect of Bitcoin you want to learn about. I've probably covered it, but yeah. I appreciate you having me on, and like, if uh, if people want to check it out, please do go and whatbitcoindid.com. Yeah, well, everyone, thank you very much for for tuning in, and um, yeah, we'll see you next time. In the month of November, I'm going to be running a giveaway contest for the subscribers of this podcast. You can win some advanced copies of my book, signed, of course a GameStop voucher worth $50, or a one-year subscription to Riverside.fm Pro worth a whopping $288. All you have to do is follow the steps in the description below. You can follow me on Twitter, sign up to my mailing list, or share the contest with friends. All you have to do is follow the steps in the description below. You can follow me on Twitter, sign up to my mailing list, or share the contest with friends. In the month of November, I'm going to be running a giveaway contest for the subscribers of this podcast. You can win some advanced copies of my book, signed of course, a GameStop voucher worth $50, or a one-year subscription to Riverside.fm Pro worth a whopping $288. Thanks for making it all the way to the end of the video. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe, and leave a comment for us in the comments below. Let me know what you thought and if you'd like to see more of this from the show. Thank you and we'll see you again next time.